You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, how to leverage your skills, take charge of your money, and get your children on the right financial path with Katherine Alford. T-minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. I'm really excited, as I always am, to have you joining me today and that you have chosen to spend some time learning, getting excited, invigorated on your money journey. Today on the podcast, I have Catherine Alford, who is a nationally recognized financial educator who started her business with a $10 domain name and grew it into a multifaceted six-figure digital media company. She is the creator of CatherineAlford.com, co-founder of MillennialHomeowner.com, and author of her recent book, Mom's Got Money, a millennial's mom guide to managing money like a boss. In this episode with Kat, we talk about all the things, how we met, which involves press on nails. So you want to hear that little tidbit of a story. Also, her own personal finance journey from starting her blog, essentially, and documenting her financial journey, her living in Grenada, being married to a doctor who is currently finishing up med school and how that impacted their journey and how she grew her blog from just, you know, writing articles for $5, $10, $20 to a six-figure business. And then, of course, we touch upon managing your money as a mom, as a parent, how you can leverage your skills that you're already a boss. You're running your household. You can run your money and all the things in between. So this is going to be a great conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. This podcast is sponsored by DCU, Digital Federal Credit Union. Did you know that some credit unions offer rates that are more competitive than traditional banks? You'll most likely earn and save more by banking with your local credit union. For example, at DCU, their members have the ability to activate the Earn More feature on their checking account and earn an annual percentage yield that's higher than many other financial institutions. And if you think your money is more at risk or that it will be harder to access your money at a credit union than a traditional bank, think again. Just like the FDIC insures deposits up to $250,000 at a traditional bank, deposits up to $250,000 at a credit union are insured by the NCUA. You can also access your money held at a credit union at any time from most any ATM, just like you would if your money were at a traditional bank. Most credit unions are part of a large participating network of ATMs that are surcharge-free. Members of DCU have access to over 80,000 surcharge-free ATMs nationwide that display the all-point some or co-op logos. DCU also reimburses members for non-DCU ATM surcharges that they may incur if they use an ATM outside the surcharge-free network. Pretty good stuff, right? To learn more, check out dcu.org. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. 
Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. All right, journeyers, today in the rocket seat, we have Catherine Alford. Hi, Catherine. Hey, how are you? Good, good. And I'm really excited. This is the first time I'm really getting to actually have a real conversation with you. And what better way to have it than on the actual podcast in front of everyone or in front of thousands of people. Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, and so a little background. So I think we met like for the first time in person at FinCon, the conference that we went to. And first of all, you were super sweet because you gave me press on nails. I'll never forget that. I forgot why you gave them to me. Because you liked mine. You liked oh, mine. Yeah. I was like, oh, I got tight. See, now everyone does it. I'm like, oh, I got to tell you my secret, girl. This is not an expensive manicure. This is press right. on. Oh, yeah. I think I said I like your manicure. And, you know, and then I, I remember knowing you from online. So that's a really cool thing about this space is that like the personal finance space is like once you get like kind of in, you get to know people and meet people. And then if you go to a conference like FinCon, you get to meet people in person. All that to say, I thought you were super nice. And um, I know that you've been in this game for a while. So blogging about your personal finance journey, then turning it into a career. Now you have a book out called Moms Got Money. So I wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about all the things. So welcome Yay. to the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. I've watched your growth in your podcast. And I can't believe this is the first time I've been on. So I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, so I do want to take it a little back and, you know, we'll get to the book and all the great things that you talk about there with moms and money. But back to your own personal journey, because, you know, you're a mom now of twins and you are talking about money in a way from like a educator, personal expert standpoint, which is great. But you once started where you didn't know what you were doing either. You had debt. And so I'd love to go to the beginning of how you started your blog and got to basically form into who you are today in terms of with your money expertise? Sure. Yeah, well, in in 2010, I was actually in grad school, and I was going to do a whole different career. And I was so broke. My graduate school stipend was $12,000 a year. So I was a teaching assistant and like a research assistant. And so I really wanted a creative outlet. I've always loved to write. Even since I was a kid, I used to make up stories, write a family newspaper, you know, all the things. And so I saw that people were blogging and I decided to start a blog about how broke I was. <laughs> so I called it Budget Blonde. I talked about going to the thrift stores, decorating my first apartment I ever had for myself by myself in grad school. And just I would share my budgets and all my different things and all the side hustles I did. And yeah, it just grew from there. I eventually rebranded it to my name and started doing more freelancing influencer work. And about four years into having the blog, it was earning enough for me to switch over to full-time self-employment. And now I've been self-employed for about seven years now. Okay. So I want to go back a little bit. So what were you in grad school for? I was in graduate school for history. I wanted to work in museums. I wanted to be a curator. I did a lot of like museum education. And kind of the connection that I, I take from it is that I've always been interested in people and why people make the decisions that they make and everything that's happened 
throughout history. I was specifically learning about 19th century U.S. history. And I'm always just fascinated by by humans. And I think that's where the money piece comes in is it's not so much the budgets or the math that gets it for me. Like I am endlessly fascinated, like why people do what they do and how people's like backgrounds and culture and childhoods impact the choices that they make. And for me, when I first started freelancing, I was writing about budgets and someone would find my blog. There were like not that many blogs back then. And they'd say, hey, we want you to write for us. Can you write? you know, about a mortgage. And I'd have no idea, but because I was a historian, I knew how to research. And so I would just be like, totally, like I'm broke. I'll, I'll write your article for 20 bucks. And so I would just read about it, learn about it, write it. And that's that's how I learned it over the course of a few years and more and more writing jobs. I just amassed this knowledge base to be able to do what I do now. See, and what I picked up from that is, and I like to ask kind of those specific questions on what people went to school for, because there's so many people who are listening, they're in school or have this degree and they're just like, that was a waste. But then you just said something that helped you um, probably have a leg up above other people or an advantage, which was your research skills, which came from your basic, your education, which you wouldn't have necessarily had if you did not go to grad school. So first of all, how long ago was this? So we can set like the timeline you don't have to date yourself too it's much. It's getting to be so long ago. So I grad, I finished grad school in 2011. And what really happened there is my husband got accepted to medical school and he went to a Caribbean medical school. So as I was graduating from grad school, I kind of had to make a choice. Like, do I stay here in the U.S.? I was like working with the Park Service, doing Civil War battlefield tours, doing research, um, which is uh, in, the, in the museum history world, Park Service is like the top, like the best because it's the Park Service. And um, so I had to kind of decide, or do I want to go to the Caribbean with my new husband with no job, no work visa, nothing. So naturally, being 22 years old, I chose to go to the Caribbean with no job, no work visa, nothing. But I had the blog. I had had it for almost, you know, a year or two at that point. But I needed to make some money. I didn't want to live off all of his like med school loans. Like I'm too productive for that. So I sat down and I just started pitching all these freelance writer jobs. And as I was just sitting there on the island while he was studying, I, I was writing for five and $10 a post. And it was actually a really great time for me because it was quiet there. We had you know no family, no distractions. It was just, he was doing his thing and I was doing my thing. We didn't have kids yet. And that's that's kind of how it started. So by the time I'm leaving the island, I have a full list of clients. I was pregnant with my twins at the tail end of our journey there. And so then I could really say like, well, I'm making enough to stay home with these kids once I have them. And that's kind of, I just never went back to working in museums because I was doing well with the online work. Yeah. And so which island did you end up? Grenada. Grenada. Okay. And so you're now in Grenada, you're blogging, you're building up your resume and writing and you're like, okay, this is a thing I can like do this full time. At the same time, I'm imagining that you guys have a lot of debt. Oh, yeah. Oh, we still do. How were you personally with your money at that time? <laughs> well, I was pretty good. I mean, I've always been a frugal person. Like, my problem is I'm trying to learn how to spend money. Like, my problem is I'm trying to learn how to let go. Enjoy, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> and, like, my husband is um, very much, like, work hard, play hard. Like, I always say, like, oh, if you see me wearing Lululemon pants, I promise you he bought them. He was like, Catherine your pants have holes in them. You must wear this. Like, please, please put on a different, you know? So I like my journey has never been like, I've never had an overspending problem. And now that we're growing in our wealth and financial independence, I'm, I'm trying to try to get better at it, you know? 
So yeah, I mean, we had little cash envelopes of uh, Eastern Caribbean dollars that we used to take to the grocery store and, you know, go out to eat every now and then. But it was definitely, like I said, it was such a peaceful time because there wasn't a ton of stores. If you wanted to order a new dress, from the, you'd have to pay customs tax on it. So it was just a time of like, just kind of working and, and working on the businesses and his school. And we didn't really spend a lot while we were there. Yeah, simplicity. And so, but this is a great point because I think so much of us talk about uh, not spending money and learning how to curtail our wants and impulses where I think there's a large population, myself also included, that need to learn to spend our money and to enjoy our money. I'm doing it more now, but just like you, like I will hold on to things and I'm just like, why are you, this has holes in it. Why are you keeping it? It's like tearing apart. I forgot who said it, but it was like a light bulb. And it was like me thinking about buying this like $15 thing that I can't afford. Like it's in the budget if I even looked at the budget. And I was like, why am I acting like I am poor? Like it's very interesting. And so we need to talk more of that, I think, in the personal finance space about helping people spend money. Yeah, totally. Because I'm right there with you. Yeah, I'm right there with you. <laughs> We're going to get ousted. <laughs> We're going to get ousted. No, well, listen, I think actually things are turning towards that. And we, you know, we're talking a little bit about this, like the whole financial independence movement and how I know a lot of people, journeyers listening to this, like that's the goal, but also they want a more balanced approach. Like the whole frugality part is a superpower. I've talked about it before. I'm frugal in certain areas. And I had Rachel Rogers on the podcast recently. And, you know, she talks about more about earning more, like spending less is fine, but really it should be about women going out and earning more because People will say what we want is frivolous. Like for us to get our hair done, our nails done, to go shopping, like it is the messages that is not a legitimate spend. And it like teaches us to contract instead of expand and think about ways we can earn more. So I know you talk about that in your book, but I want to talk about how you started to earn more. So you talked about getting $10 writing jobs, right? (laughs) Yes. So how did you evolve then to really start to earn more in your career as a writer, as a blogger? Yeah, well, um, you know, a lot of it was the relationships I built with other writers, other people in our community. And I just grew from there, you know, I would get a $20 job, and I would erase a $10 job, and then I'd get a $75 post job, and I just kept increasing rates. And then I remember going to FinCon one year, and talking to Holly Johnson, who is uh, another financial writer, and she was like, Oh, that client's paying me 75. I was like, what? They paid me 50. And so I went, I went back from that conference and then I raised all my raises to 75. Well, the more I wrote because I was a freelancer, my name was like all over the place just because everybody needed freelance writers and there weren't as many people doing it eight, 10 years ago as there are now. And so eventually that led to like influencer work and video work and those are, you know, higher paying gigs, brand work, the, the blog was growing because all the backlinks from all the freelance articles were coming in and courses. And I eventually um, paid for a coach and did the rebrand. And it's basically just multi streams of income that it wasn't like an overnight success. It was like every year, steadily, I got higher paying jobs, better clients, then it was big banks instead of other small bloggers who needed a writer. And they just kind of grew organically from there. Yeah. But also me asking for more and me pushing forward and me asking for raises along the way. And then knowing to ask for more, which is why it's so important to talk about like how much you're getting paid. And this is even if you're in a corporate job, it's beneficial for you to know what your counterpart is making. 
what people in your industry are making because you'd be surprised like there are people paying double or whatever you're getting paid to do something right now someone is getting paid double or triple that and they don't have as much experience to do so but they're getting paid for it <laughs> totally totally you gotta you kind of have to i always say like when you send those emails to like ask for a raise or initiate the conversation you should never feel good sending that email it should make you want to throw up because that that feeling is like you are pushing past a boundary you are going to a place that's uncomfortable if you feel comfortable being like oh well can i can you give me this for this contract you should be asking for something that feels like totally crazy to you yeah yeah and then it's it's crazy how your your bar actually because i'm sure there are things that you're getting now or doing now same for me that three years ago it would have scared the hell out of me to say out loud and now it's like, that's the minimum. And I know there are things I'm doing now <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I'm just like, I know in three years, like I'm not even going to look at this or I'm not going to accept that, right? I know there's progression. So I think for a lot of people that's scary, but that is the way it is. Yeah, the, the me of 10 years ago, so excited to get that first writing job would have never expected some of the brand contracts and stuff that would come later. So it, and it is a progression. And I, I think it's good for people to not compare other people they admire, they're in, like, there's a lot of people I admire, but they're 10 years older than me, right? So they're, they're been in it for longer. So it just takes time to do things. And it takes time for things to work organically. Yeah, yeah. And so when it comes to now, you have established yourself, and you're making money on the other end, like as a partnership now. So you talked about your husband just a little bit. He's um, a doctor. But with that, I know that that comes with, you know, a lot of student loans, a lot of hours, and so, and then now you have kids. So t talk about balancing that life. Cause I know I have a lot of people in the medical field or who want to be in the medical field listening, who are going through um, the years of training that your husband had to go through. But like, can you talk about that process and dealing with that? Yeah. I mean, having a spouse or, or going through medical training, probably aside from military training is one of the most difficult educational paths someone can take. I mean, especially in a surgical residency, like my husband did super, super difficult, dark times, you know, I mean, very, very hard. And just the hours that they work and what they have to go through. And like, there's no, there's no like mental health support for them. They're all just supposed to like, get through it, especially he just finished, you know, residency in the middle of the pandemic started a one year fellowship. So, you know, my job, and the reason that I continued to work on being self employed was so that I could you know, be there for our kids, and I could pick up all the rest of the slack. And there were definitely moments where that pressure, like almost felt like too much to me, like I was the breadwinner, I was the primary parent, the default parent, all of these things. And he was working just nonstop 24 hour calls weekends. Obviously, things are a lot better now, you know, he's in, in fellowship, the hours are more like nine to five. And now he's about to start his first attending job in four weeks. But there were a lot of months where I just took care of like all the money stuff, all the bills, everything because he was not here. So for us, we've always like viewed it as a, as a partnership, whereas I was helping him get through that. And now once he starts his attending job in four weeks, I will have the freedom to take on any project I want or start any project I want that I don't have to stay with clients I don't like, or if someone's like rude to me, I can be like, peace out, I don't need you. <laughs> Whereas before I would be like, well, I'm kind of in charge of paying for everything. So I should probably do this thing, even though I don't want to. So, you know, we kind of view it as a partnership to where we, we are like two sides of something, you know, where we, we help the other person out and we're both in a growth phase. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, that happens a lot with moms, even if maybe you're not married to someone in the medical profession, but just also the home life and the running of the household and the kids, even if you are working outside the home, like you literally have a job that you commute to and it's still just as, you know, mentally taxing, emotionally taxing, you still are expected to do all this unpaid emotional labor where it's not even agreed upon. Like, no, you didn't even sit down and agree to this like scenario. So I want to talk about like, just like as mom and women, how we can be more in charge and take control, especially when it comes to money, because like all these things that we're already doing in our lives set us up to be really good stewards of our money and our households financially. Yeah, well, and, and I'm glad you brought mental load because actually like the whole first chapter of my book, I talk about mental load and there's a New York Times article that talks about, you know, the, the way to reduce your mental load is communication. Well, all of us kind of feel like, well, I don't want to communicate. I don't want to give them a task because that's still mental load. I'm still giving them a list, you know. But for me, like, that's what works best. Like, my husband is, you know, great dad. Just from the beginning, he was always like, boom, right there, changing another twin's diaper. Anytime, you know, as soon as he came home, like, he he always got in there. It's just the job itself means he has not been present in this house for, like, five years. For moms, especially, like one thing I really encourage and like kind of the crux of the book, it's to sort of take on this leadership boss attitude, because I think all of us were so exhausted all the time. And, you know, I know I talked to my girlfriends and we're just like, Ugh, you know, why is it so much? Why is it so hard? But I'm really trying to flip the script. Like, of course, it's hard. And of course, I'm the one doing it because number one, I run this place like I'm the boss of this place. So, of course, I'm the one doing it. But a good leader has to be a good delegator, right? And so that sometimes that means I have to delegate tasks. And that means I tell my husband like, hey, there's 4,000 things to do for the kids' school. You get to order their lunch. So you download their app, you deal with their complaints that you ordered them the wrong thing and whatever. Like, <laughs> that, I'm, not, I'm not doing lunches. And it's like a stupid, simple thing. But, you know, we don't often outsource anything or we don't often say, Hey, on Saturday, I'm so behind on work because for whatever unknown reason, the kids didn't have school, whatever, on Thursday. So I need time and he'll do it, but he can't read my mind. And he, you know, he's not, you know, he's a very like a brain thinker. He's not like super emotional. So he's not like, oh, I can sense that you're stressed. I have to be like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> like, can't you read my mind? Like, I need help. <laughs> yeah. So you just like, for me, it's all like giving him the benefit of the doubt. And like, I like, I like being in charge of the money. I, I like having control over what we do. And so we kind of meet once a month. And we're like, we still ask each other um, about purchases over $50. That's something we did in the beginning of our marriage. And somehow it just kind of stuck. Although we could probably raise it now. But you know, I I am not so much intensely budgeting anymore so much as just sort of tracking cash flow as it goes. But yeah, I mean, um, that is the goal of the book is to sort of get moms to realize that the power that they already have, and they're already doing so much, they already have the skills to succeed with money, they just don't quite realize it yet. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, you already have a very willing and like, a partner in the household, like his time didn't allow for him to be there. But when he was, he was there. So what would you say, though? And it's, he also knows what your career is in. So I'm sure money conversations 
may not be as hard for some people, but for people who are not personal finance educators and in the space listening, right? Like the other uh, mom or women or people who have that role in the household listening, how do they start to have these conversations with their partner about money and about um, workload and all these things that impact uh, the way they live? Well, for money specifically, I think the best way to talk is to talk about really fun goals that you both have. Like, because I think that when we're frustrated and when we're feeling like we don't have any money or you're paycheck to paycheck, you immediately be like, like, if you're like, we need to talk about money, everyone's like, uh oh. But if you're like, hey, I want to have some time today because I want to have like a dream big session. And like in the book, I say, I want your dreams to be so big, like you're in embarrassed to tell somebody like they're so obnoxious or they seem so stuck up like you you don't want anyone to know what your big dream is and then once you think of that big dream then go a little bit bigger like erase it and go bigger and that way you're starting from a where you're on the same page like my husband has a list and I have a list and then we have a joint list and a lot of them are similar like you know he wants to learn how to fly an airplane that is not on my list you know but we have some some middle ground of things that we'd like to do have one day things that we'd like to do for our kids be generous all those things so i think that if you can start the conversation like that and then just leave it there just let it hang you know and then again you know in 2 weeks and so every time we have our like money meeting we so we go back over our goal list is it has it changed are we still on track or hey, like we're really close to this one or whatever. And if you start from that, then you immediately start from a place of being on the same team. So then when you get to those like annoying conversations, like why you spend so much on hunting stuff or why you at golf all day, then it's like, because it all refers back to the big goal, right? Because we're, we're trying to achieve something. So it makes the little things not so annoying or it makes them realize like, oh, well, if I didn't do that, then we could get here faster. It, it takes time to train them, you know? <laughs> No. Well, you know what? It's it's so true, though, about so many of it is you want to approach it from like these serious and like responsible conversations. We need to pay off debt. You know, like it's really heavy and people want to avoid it naturally because why? Life is already there's a lot going on. I want to talk about this after I come home from a long day of work. Right. But who wouldn't want to chat about flying first class every time you go on a trip? You know, what's really cool is that I'm relating this back and realizing um, I think I've said this before, but the way that I got my husband on board of this whole financial independence journey, because he was just like, what are you talking about? Was letting him think about what he wanted to do with his goals. So like, what's thinking about what kind of life you want? It wasn't about we need to save and we need to cut back. It, it, it led from what kind of life you wanna, do you want to live? How much money do you want to have? Where do you want to travel? And I, so I think that's a great tip for people is to start with the start with the fun. Start with the fun and the exciting goals so to get your partner and even you motivated yeah. to start the work. Don't even bring up the debt stuff in that first <laughs> round. Just just let it hang, you know, just talk it out and then it's fine. Yeah, it stuff has to sit with them for a while. You know, they gotta process on it for a little bit. Like we got it. It takes them a minute. So <laughs> And you know what I think too? What about also making it real for people? Because some people will think like these big goals for me, it's not that hard. I can think of big goals. Um, and then put myself there. And for some people, like they, they can't, like, it's like, oh, that's just too big. And that's not for me. But I think it's really important to find influences or people actually doing that. So whether it's online, I know there's a lot of funding going on. So it's some people are acting like they have stuff and really they don't. But I do think, <laughs> I do think though, it's important to seek out the images and the people and people doing it. So you can actually see it can be done that it's not some like fairy tale made up stuff. Like it's possible for you to fly first class. 
you, you go to the next round, you know, like when I was first started my business, or even when I would like approach people, like kind of like I said, I would start out writing for other bloggers. And like, over time, the clients got bigger, and then it's banks and insurance companies and Fortune 500 companies. But I didn't just like wake up at 22 and like contact a huge bank and say, like, let me be your spokesperson. So the same thing with this, like you just start with the next step. Like, I just want to pay off my hospital bill from my kid's birth. You know, that's $2,000. You just start small. And then, you know, you kind of start surrounding yourself with people and you might lose people along the way. But I think that you should never be the smartest person in the room or the wealthiest person in the room or the nicest person in the room. I think you should always surround yourself with people who are at a level you want to be at. Yeah, that is such sound uh, advice. My new favorite way to start the day is to listen to Axios today. It's a news podcast that's shorter but not shallower. In just 10 minutes, I get smart takes on the biggest stories. It's not a run through the headlines. It's the important stories you won't get to hear anywhere else. Everything from politics to space to race and justice. And host Nyla Boudou is the warm voice you'll want to hear each day. She's joined by Axios award-winning journalists to give you the scoops and analysis to power your day. Listen to Axios Today, a podcast from Axios with Pushkin Industries, wherever you get your podcast. And stick around at the end of today's episode for a preview of Axios Today. So when it comes to now specific things someone can do right now, specifically like a mom, like listening to this to empower themselves. So one, it, it sounds like it's recognizing that you already have the power because you're already a boss and like in your household. Um, and then two, if bringing your partner on board. But what's some other tips that they can like take that are not too overwhelming to start the process of, you know, living a good money life? Yeah, I think that you really need to kind of bring awareness to yourself. And so much of this is personal development and personal awareness. Like it really isn't about personal finance at first. If you're just getting started, it's taking these baby steps. Like I'm going to look at my bank account every day this week and I'm just going to look, I'm just going to sit with it. I'm going to notice what feelings I have. Am I disappointed in myself? Do I see, you know, target, you know, five times in a row? I do what am I feeling as I'm looking at it? Because a lot of this is just getting comfortable with money in general, just the very beginning. And then, you know, we're kind of comfortable with the bank. Then it's like, you know what, I'm going to add up how much debt I have. And then it's like, I'm going to add up, I'm going to figure out what my net worth is. And I'm going to look at that every day. I'm not just going to look at my debt every day and beat myself up. I'm going to look at like, how am I growing? And like, oh, look, I do have a little bit of my retirement account, right? And you're know, giving yourself credit. So a lot of it is kind of self-acceptance on the journey and becoming the person that you want to be. Imagining yourself as the person who achieved, even this, even if your goals are small at first, what does that person look like? And what does she act like? And what does she wear? And what kind of house does she live in? And every day taking a step to become her. Yeah, I love, love that. And what are some things for you, like personally? So you have your business, you've written your book, Mom's Got Money, which everyone should go get. Uh, but for you, like in your personal finance journey, right, as a couple, so now your husband. So I also, I, I watched Grey's Anatomy. I know that's not really a good like benchmark. Uh, and I used to, I don't know all the episodes, guys. But I know that 
but I remember the terms attending and resident. I know there's so many layers to this. So I'm yes, assuming yes, he's yes. going to be out into like and practicing soon, right? Yes, four weeks. Okay. And so with that though, like comes a change in income. Massive change. Yes. A massive change in income. And do you mind saying what kind of uh, doctor is he? He is a cosmetic surgeon. Okay. Um, and so you have now this like a huge change in income coming. How does that change your outlook as a family with your finances and how you intend to manage it? Because also there, I'm, I'm assuming there's also debt on the other side of this too. Yeah. And, and gosh, we have talked endlessly about this because obviously he has several hundred thousand dollars of student loans. And I've really been on a transition with this journey too, Jamila, because, you know, at first when I'm starting my business, I'm like, we have to pay all this off as soon as possible. We have to do all this stuff. And now like he and I are both very entrepreneurial. So I would say that we're still in growth phase and there are a lot of things we both want to do and we are going to enjoy his income first because for five years we haven't taken a family vacation or done anything and both cars have over you know 100,000 miles and so we're like barely we're like right at the end so I think we're going to enjoy it a little bit especially this first year out and then we're just going to make some choices first we need to see you know, how he does, because it is um, for cosmetic surgery, it is production based. So it's he gets a certain percentage of all surgeries he does. So the more surgeries he does, the more he gets paid. So we just kind of have to see how it goes. But we have both have a lot of ideas for businesses. And I think that's how we're going to build our wealth and eventually become financially independent is through all of these different avenues versus immediately pay off all the debt, be super frugal, not do anything, not buy new cars and just like hunker down. I think we are going to use his income as a way to invest in other asset building things. Yeah. And, you know, it's great that you also got a chance to share just like the five years of not having any income and then driving really older cars because someone so in fast forward in a year, um, Catherine, someone can come and look at your life and be like, oh, of course, she's like living the life. Her husband's a doctor. Like, of course, she has it made. But there's, there was a journey that you guys had to get through, sacrifices you had to make to get to that level. Like it wasn't just you woke up and it happened. Like there was work to be done. Yeah. In my book, I share a story about using WIC checks like three months after becoming self-employed because I went through all my emergency savings. I had two little preemie twins and I was I had to buy them specialty formula and I just didn't have the cash for it. I mean, that that was only six or seven years ago that I was doing that. So, I mean, we have really had a big, a big transition over the last couple of years. And what I really like is that our kids get to see our transition too. They were not born in the house of a cosmetic surgeon and an entrepreneur. They, they were with us from the beginning. And so they get to see what happens when you work hard and you do things that are outside of the norm. They've seen their mom and dad work crazy hours at night, weekends, and support each other through this whole time. So they, they sort of know that, yeah, we're going to have an exceptional life, but you know, we kind of live differently in order to get there. Yeah. And when it comes to your kids, what are you actually teaching them about money? I get this question all the time. You know, I'm now starting lessons with my kids. So what are you actually doing with your kids? Do they get an allowance? Are you talking to them about what kind of accounts do they have if they have any yet? Yeah, well, they do get an allowance. I am outsourcing my my laundry to them because I'm so done with all the laundry and they have to have their rooms clean and their laundry folded and put away 
every Friday, if they do that on Fridays, they each get $5. So my husband, my husband, my son, who actually is a spitting image of my husband. So I get them mixed up sometimes. But um, my son just bought a $70 Lego with all his little $5 bills that he had saved. And he had this big chart above his desk, like five plus five plus five, like he knew how many weeks until he got it. And look, I'll pay one and not the other. Like I'm hardcore as a mom. Like you didn't keep your room clean all five days. Oh, well, I'll give it to your twin and not you. Like I'm not messing around with this, this stuff. So um, I like to connect the idea of work and money. They still have to pick up, you know, their plates and put it up and act like normal people here. But I do pay, pay them for those tasks because I want them to learn how to use it. I want them to waste it, make mistakes with it. And as far as accounts, um, they each have a custodial account invested in index funds. And that's where I put all their like birthday money from grandparents and stuff like that. They're, you know, they're seven. So they kind of know what's there. They don't really know. I'm trying to explain to them like stocks or pieces of a company. They notice that different buildings are going out of business. So we kind of talk about that. They know mom has a business, but not in a building, you know, it's kind of, we're, we're getting there. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really great. Like just to even just talk about what's actually like the, what's happening. Like, so for example, what I started doing, so I have three, and the baby, like the three-year-old doesn't really get it, but like I, I am supposed to. Sometimes I like forget, but they're always like, mom, you didn't give us our allowance. I'm like, okay, just put it on my tab. Like it's up to you to keep that tab. <laughs> if you get, that's on you. <laughs> so like I give them like each, I think it was like $2. I probably need to raise it, but there's three of them. Okay. So I'm like, all right, calm down. Right. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. You got the extra one. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I give them like a couple dollars each. I'm supposed to give them a couple dollars each. And then um, they have like save and spend envelopes. Yeah. Now, if it's up to my kids every day after I pick them up from school, they would spend it like $4 for an ice cream cone that is so not worth $4. And so I'm at the point where like once a week, maybe I'll let them get it. But I'm trying to tell them like, this is a waste of money. But I'm also trying like you, I like how you just said you want them to make mistakes. But I'm just like, there is no way that I'm buying like this ice cream for you every day of the week. And what I noticed is when they do have the ice cream, see, there's certain messages that happen. I just realized the crossing guard and they mean so well. When I when they have the ice cream, they say, oh, wow, your mom is such a good mom because, like you know, like she got you the ice cream. But even for me, the signal is, oh, yeah, I'm a good mom when I buy them the ice cream. But like if they don't have the ice cream, right, I'm still a good mom. But I see that. And then I so I, it's it's interesting how as parents in general, moms, we get this signals from our kids and then from society that like, oh, you're good mom if you do these things when sometimes that goes into contrast to really what I'm trying to teach them. But it's interesting. It's so hard because like all these things sink in. I mean, that's just the crossing guard. That's not even what they see on YouTube, what they see on a TV show or in a movie or whatever or here at school. You know, my son went to a on a play date yesterday and he was like, his parents are so nice. Every time he asks for, for something, they say yes. And I had three cupcakes and I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, it's like, I bet you do like going to that friend's house. Sure is different from your house. You're poor thing. You know, you're tortured. <laughs> oh, well, that's the thing. Like you can raise your kids and you can have whatever these values and things you're trying to instill, but there's the real world and there's experiences. And I want them to, sometimes it's just like, yes, I want you to go just, I don't care if it's expensive, go get that thing, you know, go enjoy yourself. But it's really interesting because the other thing that started happening is that some other moms will buy them ice cream. Like, you know, they're playing with the other kids at the park and they're like, oh, we'll just buy it for you. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting here because I'm like, do they, I don't think the moms are not expecting me to, to return the favor necessarily. 
but I now feel in debt, like kind of in debt to the moms. So I'm just like, so now I have to like spend $30 on all these kids ice cream. I don't know. So there's so much signaling and like social constructs going on when you deal with outside people. <laughs> totally. Totally. I understand exactly what you're saying. It, it is challenging, you know, and I, what I've had to learn is like, I'm going to make mistakes and like, I'm trying so hard to raise like confident kids about money and all this stuff. But am I going too hard on it? Like, <laughs> you know, am I, am I not focusing enough on other things? Or is it just because they're in my house? So, you know, either way, like, we're, we as parents are going to mess something up. But as long as they have a comfort with money and a knowledge, and they know that, you know, we expect them to work and be independent people, but we're always here for them. Like if something happens to them. So yeah, what better way for them to learn these lessons and fail with smaller amounts of money? Because what happens is a lot of people didn't get a chance to experience that until they got to college. So they got it was like more on the line, more at stake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, then it's there. Then it's a credit card. And then it's a bad credit score. And then it's all this stuff. So I, I'd rather them, you know, lose it, you know, lose a $5 bill, because they didn't put it right where it was supposed to go. I just, I just let them let them do all the things and kind of trying to make them more responsible with it. So I like the idea of, of kids having their own money because it, it makes them have choices, just like all of us like having money because it gives us choices. And so they have to decide, do you want to spend it? Do you want to save it? Do you want this bigger thing? Are you sure you want that and pay you back when you get home? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So a couple more questions, um, specifically for like moms and parents. I heard you said that your kids have a custodial investment account. So what accounts, if you don't, you have limited amount of money to, you know, save and invest for them. Do you have a preference or just uh, order that you suggest that people do like 529 account versus saving yeah. account? Well, I think the 529 account is definitely the most you know, tax effective one. And I am going to open up 529 accounts for them um, in this next year again to try to optimize taxes with higher income and things like that. But I like the custodial account because um, just for the beginning phases when they were babies and I was trying to decide what to do because it wasn't it wasn't tied to anything. You know, they didn't have to use it for school when they're 18. They get access to it. And so it wasn't something I was expecting them to use for college, but more just like a jump, you know, buy a car with it, down payment on a house with it. By the time they get to that point, it gave them a little bit of flex. And then I think high yield savings accounts are fine for things that you you know, if, if they are, let's say 12, and they want to buy a car when they're 17, you know, I think that's, you know, under five years, something like that. That's kind of the order I would do it. There's lots of different ways to do it. Although high yield accounts have been so sad lately, but <laughs> yeah, with the interest rate. So I just want to go back really quickly, just because some people this I always like to, to approach it from someone who's like never heard of this stuff before. And it's like, what is that? So 529 account are for like college saving. Um, and depending on your state, it can be, you know, uh, tax efficient because you can write it off on your gross income for your state taxes. Like in New York, you could deduct how much you put towards your 529 for the state. But then like a custodial account um, is different because that can be used for anything, but you do have to open it up at an investment like firm or brokerage yeah. company. And right? it, they are listed as the child's assets. So when you apply to college, it will show that they have money. So a lot of people don't want to do it for that reason. But I'm just kind of like, my goal is not to get tons of financial aid. My goal is to pay for their college, you know, whatever happens with it. So that and and you know that's a good point because i hear also people will go back and forth about which one is the best and i'm like even if you just pick one it's better than nothing i know like you yeah. can't be for sure what you're gonna where you're gonna be in 10 15 years with your kids okay actually well, another question i have about this is for moms or dads or parents that are behind on their own savings and retirement 
should they be looking into these methods for their kids? Because I think it's best that you are, you know, financially sound first. But what is your take on it? Yeah, no, that's that's my take, too. I think people know that intellectually, but they have a hard time doing it in practice. I think the best gift that we can give to our kids is being financially independent, that we have all of our stuff, that we're not a burden to them, that we're not asking our kids for money. We're not expecting our kids to take care of us. Like the best gift we can give them is that it's not going to be stressful as we get older and that we've, we've saved and prepared for it. That said, I mean, as parents, we, we, you know, parents won't eat so their kids can eat. So, you know, the natural inclination is to try to take care of them. So I think if you feel guilty or feel bad, you can always do a little balance, say, you know, I have some money for you, I can give you a $1,000 towards the semester in college, but you might have to pay for the rest of your own or work or go to community college. But the biggest thing is having that open communication, just people don't communicate, you have to talk to your kids about the hard things, you have to let them know, look, this is what I have for college. If you want to go to a different college or a private college or something like that, that's going to be on you. And that's a big choice to make for someone who's 17, 18 years old. Just so you know, it really sucks to make big monthly payments when you graduate. So, but it's your choice. And again, you, you we can't make all of the choices for our kids. They have to make mistakes and they have to go and learn things on their own too. But I would definitely say, make sure your house is in order first before that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Kat. So tell everyone where they can find your book um, and learn more about you if they want to follow your like your journey and get all your other advice. Sure. Well, um, my website is katherineolford.com. And on there, I have a mom's got money starter pack you can download. So it's like for the mom just getting started, it's kind of some different like sheets and where you can kind of face the numbers and, and get going on the journey. And I'm always on the gram at Catherine C. Alford. And the book is Mom's Got Money, A Millennial Mom's Guide to Managing Money Like a Boss. And it is available everywhere. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kat. Catherine. I keep going back and forth between the two, but. <laughs> I know. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. But it was so, it's really nice to have you on the show. And I wish you the best of luck with the book. I know, you know, that like, I am always now fascinated with book releases and launches, because I want to be in this stage in a couple of years. So I, it's really nice to see like, it come because you, you had a video on your Instagram where you like went to Barnes and Nobles yes, with your kids. With the and twins. they saw it. So I think that's like, so really like cool, full circle, um, watching your journey thus far. So thank you. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and chat with Catherine. Go check out her book, Mom's Got Money, wherever you find books. I'll link it all in the show notes. And if you did find a takeaway or you got something really invigorating that you think will help you and you're going to execute it on your journey, let me know. Tag me at Journey to Launch on Instagram and tag Catherine C. Alfred on Instagram if you got something from this episode. I will say one of the takeaways that I really liked, I mean, I liked a lot of the points of our conversation, but one that I thought was really something you can use in your life right now is if you have someone that you want to bring on board. And this could actually be a friend or even a um, your parent, child, partner, but appeal to their dreams to their vision of the life that they want to live. So let's just say there's someone in your life who is not interested at all. I'm talking about money and paying off debt and all the serious stuff. <laughs> Appeal to what they want. You know, the freedom, the lifestyle, their goals, 
And, you know, Catherine talks about that, how, you know, that's how she recommends people get started when they're talking to a, a partner. And I said it in the episode, but that's essentially how I got my husband excited about financial independence. It was focusing on the vision and dream first. And then, you know, we get to the heavy stuff, the more harder conversations. So I would love for you guys to try that. If you are trying to have this conversation with someone in your life, you want to bring them on board, appeal to something they want to do, (laughs) appeal to the vision, appeal to that thing, you know, that excites them and let me know what happens. All right. As promised, check out a preview of the Axios Today podcast. Hi, I'm Nyla Boodoo, host of Axios Today. It's a daily podcast that gives you the latest scoops and analysis to power your day. You're about to hear a segment from our daily episode. You can hear more by listening to Axios Today every weekday morning on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the pandemic took hold, the venture capital industry braced itself for the worst, and many feared COVID could destroy startups across the country. But VC has thrived to the tune of more than $130 billion, reports Axios' technology and business reporter Kia Kokolacheva. Hey, Kia. Hey. So why has venture capital done so well? One, a lot of the investors already had money ready to invest. And then they also kind of got really quickly used to Zoom investing. You know, we all shifted to doing things over video chat, over Zoom. And so they did too. You also had a lot of entrepreneurs who got new ideas during the pandemic. So they started companies and startups that would make life easier or coming up with services and products for life after the pandemic subsides. But now we want to do things differently. And so they're going to be providing us with services and goods for that. Why does this matter for the economy or for the rest of us? Well, fundamentally, startups are small businesses, right? They're building products and services that consumers spend money on. They're employing people. So in a way, we should care about them in the same way that we care about small businesses more broadly. But it's also, you know, the technology industry kind of leads the way a lot as far as how we do things down the line, right? They're innovating. Technology is constantly evolving. Ten years ago, we didn't know that we could just use our phone and get a car to show up and take you to the restaurant. But startups did that. Axios is Kia Kokolicheva. Thanks, Kia. Thank you. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here, so show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast, with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, 
Keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.